forever depends on this uh, close uh, running of our own economy. Well, Shark, thank you very much for coming in this morning. Thank you very much for your contributions to the program over the last year. Look forward to talking to you next year and have a very happy new year. You too. Thank you very much. Happy that's, New Year. That's Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets that are open this morning, uh, the SX200, first of all, in Australia is down a quarter percent. Markets in Korea, uh, South Korea and Japan are closed. It's a half a day trading here in Hong Kong, but looks like the Hang Seng is going to rise about 350 points or so at the open following the rally in Chinese shares in New York last night, which was the, the strongest since 2008. That's it for Money Talk for this year. Money Talk will be back as usual on Monday. But before that, please join me tonight at 10pm on Radio 3 for Ring In 22 as we welcome in the new year live across Hong Kong. I've got four hours of great dance and disco tracks for you. In the meantime, on behalf of the Money Talk team, I would like to wish you a happy, safe, healthy and prosperous new year. Do stay tuned to Radio 3. Back chat's coming up. Janice Wong and Andrew Work presenting uh, the show this morning. The weather forecast for today. Cloudy with one or two light rain patches at first, mainly fine and dry during the day, a maximum temperature of around 21 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be fine and dry with cool mornings on New Year's Day and the following couple of days. It's 17 degrees right now, 80% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Andy Shorsky with the half-hour news. Health officials say they're investigating two suspected cases of local transmission of the Omicron coronavirus variant linked to a Cathay Pacific Air Crew member. They said they're looking at whether the virus spread from an infected air crew member to people at a restaurant in Festival Walk. A 76-year-old man who tested preliminary positive is related to an air crew member who's confirmed to be infected with the Omicron variant. They both dined at the restaurant on Monday. Officials locked down Wing Chak House in Shepkip May, where the 76-year-old lives. They also locked down Block A of Hoi To Building in Kennedy Town, the home of the Cafe Pacific crew member who's tested preliminary positive. Authorities said that as of 1.30 a.m., around 195 residents in Kennedy Town had been tested, and the results for a small number of specimens are still undergoing a verification process. The rest of the results came back negative. In Shekip, Maine, no confirmed cases were found after 916 people were tested. South Africa, where the Omicron variant was first identified last month, says all indicators suggest it has passed the peak of the fourth wave of COVID infections. The authorities are immediately lifting a number of restrictions. The BBC's Sima Kotecha has the details. This evening, the government said the latest figures showed a 30% decrease in new COVID cases over the past week, as well as a fall in hospital admissions in all provinces except one. It said given the trajectory of the pandemic, along with the rate of vaccinations and available beds in hospitals, it had decided to lift a nationwide midnight to 4am curfew and allow shops with the correct licences to sell alcohol after 11pm. The government says wearing masks in public places is still compulsory and indoor gatherings must not exceed a 1,000 people. Mourners have been streaming through the Anglican Cathedral in Cape Town to pay their last respects to Archbishop Desmond Tutu. The anti-apartheid campaigner is lying in a modest wooden coffin in line with his wishes for a simple funeral. 
He'll be cremated on New Year's Day. His ashes interred inside the cathedral where he preached for many years. The Archbishop of Cape Town, Tabo Makoba, said mourners would celebrate the long life of Desmond Tutu. This is a, a sad moment, but as Christian, it's also a, a moment of grace where we're saying, thank you, Lord, for a life well lived. And uh, in terms of our biblical age of three scores ten, the Archbishop has surpassed uh, those years. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to the last Back Chat of 2021 with Janice Wong and me, Andrew Work. On today's program, we are tackling the issue of cross-border travel. And in the second part of the show, we look at the psychology of New Year's resolutions. Hong Kongers have been expecting the resumption of quarantine-free cross-border travel. But sources say we will have to wait and wait and wait some more. Beijing has become even more reluctant to open the border, given the spread of Omicron. But even so, Hong Kong's cross-border control points have become more congested, as residents are traveling north for Chinese New Year. That doesn't even start until a month from now. Why so early? The mandatory 21-day quarantine on the mainland means that people who want to meet their relatives there for the holiday have to leave Hong Kong much earlier than usual. In other news, Hong Kong's Penny Bay Quarantine Center will stop taking new reservations for foreign domestic helpers starting next Monday, as officials say the capacity could be needed if Hong Kong sees a spread of the Omicron variant. So how much longer do we have to wait for cross-border travel with China? Is now the right time to open up? After 9.15, we'll talk about New Year's resolutions. Why do we keep making and breaking them? We want to know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or just give us a call on 233-88266. This is Backchat. Janice Wong, who have we got on the show today? Well, this morning, we are very lucky to be joined by legislator-elect Michael Tan, who is a local delegate to the National People's Congress. Also on our program, we have Sheila Shan, the Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization, and Freddie Yip, the President of the Hong Kong Travel Agent Owners Association. Good morning to all of you, and uh, welcome to Backchat. So um, maybe we can start with uh, Mr. Tian. Um, I know earlier you expressed uh, some concern about the situation at the Shenzhen border control point. Um, has, the, has the situation improved there over the past few days? Uh, <clears throat> actually, not really. <clears throat> I think uh, <clears throat> uh, the, the fact is that uh, Beijing has actually given a green light and uh, the whole arrangement, uh, the, the whole announcement of opening the border without quarantine uh, would have been made uh, possibly uh, the day or two after the election. Uh, unfortunately, with the recent Omicron cases, particularly uh, with Hong Kong's continued policy of exempting aircrew uh, for hotel quarantine, uh, which has created several cases in the past weeks uh, of it leaking into the, um, <coughs> the community, has uh, raised serious concern uh, from Shenzhen and Zhuhai, the two areas that uh, borders Hong Kong directly. So, in fact, Shenzhen and Zhuhai is also concerned about the uh, rest of Guangdong province also reporting Omicron cases uh, uh, leaked in from the rest of China. So they are now squeezed in between, and they are the ones that are now uh, uh, 
holding off opening the border. And, uh, of course, uh, the central government's pressure is still on, but I think there's a limit as to what they want to, to uh, go uh, to pressure Samjian and Zhuhai to open up to Hong Kong. Where, where so does as of now, I think unless uh, we do a substantial U-turn in our air crew exemption policy, I actually don't see, if I were the party secretary or something, why I would play ball with Hong Kong. Yeah, and I mean, Cathay Pacific has just announced they're going to be cancelling a number of their long-haul cargo flights uh, on account of the quarantine policy uh, where pilots have to be in. But, Michael, the way, the way you're talking about it, it sounds like the locus of power, the decision-making is at the city level, Shenzhen, Zhuhai. But is that where the is that where the pressure is? Is is it Shenzhen and Zhuhai that get to make the call, or is it the provincial level government, or is it a okay. national decision? That's precisely uh, well, how I want to contribute to this interview, because mm. uh, I have uh, sources from uh, <coughs> uh, different uh, sort of uh, levels, and in China, you need uh, national policy, but you also need local support. So there's this big door and small door. Uh, concept, which I'm sure you've heard many, many times, mm. all right? And now there's even a smaller door. There's a big door called Beijing, there is a small door called Guangdong, and there's a gate, uh, a smaller door called Samjian. Now actually Guangdong is okay, but Samjian is not okay. And Samjian is actually worried that Guangdong, the rest of Guangdong, for example, Dongguan, uh, which has reported Omicron cases, would have cases leaked into some judge, so they are now squeezed in between. Gotcha. And, and I understand... But in Hong Kong, but yeah. in China, it's different. Whenever they report an Omicron case, they lock down that area. So at least as far as some judge is concerned, they don't mind having a uh, open uh, sort of free flow of uh, travelers between the rest of Guangdong and Samjiang as long as they lock down any... Uh, area where there's reported cases of Omicron, but we're not doing that in Hong Kong because Hong Kong is one city. We cannot lock down Yomate or we can't lock down, uh, uh, you know, Sai Yingpun, right? Mm. Mr. Chen, let's go back to the Shenzhen Bay border control point uh, about the, the situation there. Uh, what is it that, uh, I know you're not really happy with the uh, arrangement made there because uh, um, travelers, they have to take another COVID okay. test. I you... wrote, I wrote as a delegate uh, to the National People's Congress, to Beijing, and also CC, uh, you know, uh, circulation to uh, the uh, Samjian uh, <clears throat> uh, Health Bureau, arguing that uh, my understanding is that they have agreed once they open the border with quarantine-free travel, right, they would not require another test at the border. So if that's the case, uh, I am requesting them to advance that condition earlier to uh, have it apply today, even though the hotel quarantine policy is still in place, All right? Because as far as I'm concerned, it is not logical. If they feel that our level of risk is getting very, very similar, all right, they should be able to recognize test from Hong Kong's laboratory, all right, and not require another test at the border uh, because they can always test it at the hotel because there's a quarantine period at the hotel. Just like when China travelers come into Hong Kong today, all right, we require them to get tested 
before entering, but there's no test at the border. Now, airport is a different story. Now, airport, even uh, any kind of traveler from China going into Hong Kong, coming into Hong Kong through the airport, we require them to be tested at the airport because the airport situation is complicated. All right, there are cross-contamination, uh, many, many other things affecting at the airport, but not at the land border. So that is the point I'm arguing. If they were going to uh, 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 relax the border uh, 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 test testing uh, once they open it, why can't they advance that condition now, uh, given that there is still a seven-day or 14-day hotel quarantine following entry? All right, uh, let's bring in uh, Sheila Shan, the Deputy Director of uh, SOCO. Uh, good morning, Ms. C. Hey, good morning. Um, hi. So, so can you tell us a bit about the, um, the situation uh, of these uh, travellers? I know um, you uh, contacted many of them. And what is the situation like? I mean, I know many of them have to wait for hours uh, for, for a COVID test at the border. Many, many of the uh, um, families, uh, um, they are waiting for uh, going to mainland China because uh, their family there. And uh, some of them, actually, they are <coughs> very old, old uh, mother, father, they are um, six or even pass away. So they need to uh, rush to go to uh, mainland China to, to take care of them or even the, uh, uh, prepare, uh, join the funeral, this kind of thing. But um, actually, so so actually, they and, and besides, actually, they don't have the uh, financial uh, uh, support to um, pay for the quarantine, the hotel, or even the time. So, they, so they actually, they are waiting for the government to um, allow the policy they they can uh, uh, waive of the quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, but Janice was specifically asking about the. Conditions at the border. I mean, Freddie Yip, your your members of the Travel Agent Owners Association are probably dealing with this. Uh, you know, how are they helping people that are trying to cross the border? Uh, good no, morning. I, I, good morning. I, Michael, Michael, congratulations. It will be a success today. We elected back to the Mexico. I hope that uh, you can uh, voice out more to help our travel industry. Thank you, Freddie. Now come back, now come back to the uh, border. Uh, cases. Uh, uh, all of us knowing well that without opening the border or have uh, more flight coming from all the overseas come to Hong Kong. So we are now uh, almost locked down and uh, we are the travel agency, our related uh, sectors of the tourism are waiting and waiting uh, for so long. And we are really hope that, uh, that uh, Michael, you can use your capacity uh, to uh, convince or to arrange uh, that uh, to speed up uh, to open the border uh, for us. But uh, on the other hand, I hope the Hong Kong government can also uh, look uh, into uh, our travel uh, industry. Uh, in the past uh, vacation, the holiday, we can see the restaurant sectors, retail sectors, or uh, so it looks uh, good and uh, the business coming back, except the airline or the travel agency, they are still suffering a lot. So uh, I have members, we have members running the uh, cross-border coaches. The, the, the coaches has been uh, suspended and stopped the services uh, almost two years since February, two years ago. 
they all stopped the services. There are almost 1,300 cross-border coaches and around 607 cities. They provide services for the Hong Kong people or the mainland uh, people coming uh, back to forth to, uh, from Shenzhen to uh, Hong Kong. The driver, they suffer. They have no job. They need to uh, change the job to work to, to work for another sectors. And the owners of the cross-border companies also are losing a lot, uh, a lot of money. So, uh, but uh, there's uh, nothing we can do uh, as uh, as everybody is hoping that the border can be open in December, so everybody is happy. Suddenly, come with the new virus of the Omicron, uh, spread all over the world, and uh, the Hong Kong government, the health department, have to tighten up uh, the control so we can understand also uh, the position. Mm. But uh, come back uh, to what the Hong Kong government can do. I hope the Hong Kong government can consider one more round of the subsidy scheme. Uh, to pay one more time uh, money to this uh, travel agency or the coach company to let them stay in the trade, not going to uh, close down or they change the job for so long. Freddie, Freddie I, I appreciate you're the chairman of the uh, the association, so you got to get your lobbying in with your, your local representative, Mr. Tin. you got to ask the government for money, but you also have to answer the question. Um, can your agents, can your members do anything to help people with their cross-border travel to make it easier? Are they able to keep up with all the changes in cross-border travel arrangements? Sure, sure. I actually, I actually I have spoken with uh, one or two members who are running these cross-border uh, coaches and uh, seven cities. They are ready. They are ready uh, to provide uh, the services for the, the people. But the point is that now if the uh, mainland government side not uh, allowed, they cross the border, so uh, we can't do anything to uh, provide the services to, to send uh, the people from Hong Kong to Shenzhen. So still, we need uh, to wait for the, 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 the green light to allow us and allow them to cross the border. The, the coaches and the... the, 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 the the transportation is uh, already, although, uh, although most of the drivers has uh, changed the job, but I, I believe they can come back to join, uh, back uh, to work, uh, to provide the service to take the people uh, to and fro from Hong Kong to Shenzhen. Yeah, I guess, I guess I guess if they'd want to come back to those jobs, maybe they decide they like the new jobs better. And, of course, when they do, they'll be able to relieve some of the human suffering. Lai Shan, you, you were alluding to that when you got going there. Um, the SCMP had a great article. They were, uh, had an article where they, they quoted a construction worker, hasn't seen his wife and children for two years. I mean, you know, very simple quote, I miss them so much. You know, kind of heartbreaking. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the, the human toll this is taking, Lai Shan? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, actually, we have many families they separate for two years uh, because of the cost of border, and uh, so some um, because some of the, their family, their children, their wife in in mainland China, so they cannot meet them, and uh, uh, or some of them they have uh, old parents they are in in mainland China they cannot they cannot go because actually they don't they have job here and then um, they uh, they don't have no, no money to pay for the 
hotel quarantine and and I think the quarantine time in mainland is too long and some of them if they are in in Shenzhen for 14 days and they go to if the other province they are another 14 days so it's it's quite a long time for them and uh, and if they if they go back to quarantine and then even they would lost their job so um, that is uh, a problem another actually we have some of the uh, they are relatives in, in mainland China. They actually they are seriously sick, and they need them to take to see them or even last days of their uh, uh, members and or, or they already actually from they raised they say they are seriously and then they pass away. They need to join their uh, attend their funeral funeral and then they cannot cannot go. So it's really sad. Yeah. And uh, so actually every day we have many people they call to us to ask when we open the. The border, and I think it's um, it, um, I think we, we can actually in mainland China they are restricted. If there's a a, a find COVID nineteen in that city or the area, they would already close order uh, uh, area. So I think they they can uh, uh, open the border, but and then they will they and and they would restrict where they can go, something like that. It would, more easier for this family. Right, Mr. Mr. Chen. Yes. Hello, are you back? Um, so, so right now, I mean, just now, Sheila Shan says many people call them every day to ask uh, when will the border with the mainland be open again. And uh, just now, you're saying uh, with the uh, current uh, situation, do you think? Um, I mean, the current COVID situation. Do you think it's uh, unlikely that our border with the mainland will open anytime soon? Well, I'm afraid uh, <clears throat> the Omicron variant is a very uh, untimely disappointment. Nobody has expected that. And uh, even within China, there are uh, reported cases everywhere and uh, districts being locked down. So even provinces between, uh, within China are skeptical of each other. Uh, and under that kind of climate, uh, I'm afraid... Uh, Jun and Zhuhai will take a very strong stance against uh, opening the border. And I don't think the provisional or the central government would really want to apply too much pressure. So everything depends on, uh, you know, the report of Omicron cases. That, that, you see, the problem with uh, Omicron is not just its... Um, it's a uh, <clears throat> wide degree of uh, uh, affected cases worldwide, but also the fact that we're starting to see cases in Hong Kong, right? Yep, there are two mm-hmm. suspected cases of local yeah, transmission you know, of the Omicron zero, COVID variant. Zero uh, sort of uh, situation for a long, long time. And now that chain has been broken. That is the problem. So uh, I think that in the long run, uh, God knows what other variant will come along after Omicron. In the long run, we need to do something to our airport. Even local cleaners who serve the airport and who have contact with customers, they go home at night every night without undergoing any quarantine. That is another situation that needs to be dealt with. So our big problem is how do we get our airport to a level where Really, we can control these uh, infinite uh, number of variants in the future from coming in before they are uh, comfortable opening the border. 
Do, do you think so? So there's recent reports coming out that Omicron is not, if, if you've been vaccinated, Omicron is not deadly. It doesn't have a, a kill factor like anything else. I mean, could it be considered not COVID, like, like something different from COVID? I'm, I'm talking to people in North America and Europe, and they're like, yeah, I got Omicron right now. No, no problem. I can do all my Zoom calls. I just have to do them from home. I'm fine. I mean, if, if that is what happens, could you see the situation changing over the next couple of months? To say, fine. Well, first if, of if, all, our know. vaccination rate is not that high. Okay, mm, true. And secondly, there's another issue with the booster shot. Right. Sure. I am arguing that when you open the border, actually everyone should get a booster shot because a lot of the vaccination has been uh, sort of out of date. They were done. The second shot uh, was done uh, more than six months uh, ago and effectively rendering it not as effective, all right? So the case is, you're right, vaccination protects the person being affected from dying. But apparently, Omicron is such that even if you're vaccinated, your ability to pass it on to others, okay, is Mm -hmm. still very high, even though you're vaccinated. So what some judge worry about is your, our ability uh, or, or possibility of uh, a carrier passing on to others, all right? Even though they're convincing, convinced that the carrier would not uh, suffer serious consequence. Yeah. Because once they have reported cases of Comicrom, they have to lock down their local district. You think about that. If you're the Sumtran Party Secretary, you want to do that? Yeah, and I, and I mean these 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 kind of numbers about uh, kind of the the expectation of Omicron not having a serious or, or a, as fatal an effect is based on the uh, Pfizer Moderna type vaccines, yeah, not the Sinovac. Health experts, uh, yeah. I generally take the uh, take uh, I, I generally accept the principle that vaccination is to protect the carrier, mm-hmm. not to prevent it from spreading. Okay. Now, but if you really think about it at a political level, if you are the party secretary of Samjian, right? If something comes in from Hong Kong, that district has to be locked down. You want to do that? Because if you don't lock down that district, then the rest of China is going to gang up against you. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not exactly very popular in that club after that, are you? Exactly. So, so you must understand how they react at sure. the, at the, at the uh, so-called uh, border level. So, Silai Shan, uh, you probably deal with a lot of people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, there was a report in RTHK today that, uh, you know, Omicron was, there was one uh, microbiologist saying Omicron was inevitable. And, you know, when it does get into Hong Kong, it'll probably kill off. He estimated a thousand people. Uh, and I mean, what is the word among people in your community that are not vaccinated? If, if we do get more Omicron in Hong Kong, will they change their minds? Will they then say, OK, fine, I finally I'll go get vaccinated. I think we have some of the cases, they are really urgent. They need to uh, visit, as I said before, because their parents are, are sick in, in China or they, they, some of them even passed away. They need to uh, go. And um, and, uh, and so actually some of them, they know if they're no cost for that, they, they need to quit their job and then they borrow money from their relatives and then they go back to quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, so but I mean, but what what I'm, what I'm asking is, among people in your constituency that you serve, if they know that Omicron is going to get into Hong Kong at some point, when when that happens, will they then go and get vaccinated finally? 
You mean even no no close no open door border, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are they are going back. No, but I'm saying, are, will people finally get vaccinated? Will the unvaccinated finally go back and get a jab if they think that Omicron's in Hong Kong? Oh, you never go back to mainland. No, no, no. Uh, will they go? Do you have people you work with that are unvaccinated? Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, may, well, may, may I say a sure, few words? please, friend. Uh, yeah. May I say a few words? Uh, just like what uh, Michael is saying, that God knows how we can control this uh, new virus to spread all over uh, in uh, Hong Kong or in China or over the sea, over uh, uh, well. Uh, so open the border seems uh, not uh, a message that uh, will be uh, open shortly. So in this situation, we need uh, to do uh, as, as soon as possible, uh, try to make the Hong Kong economy to keep the uh, Hong Kong people, they can uh, stay safe and, uh, and they can make some uh, living. Uh, in our travel industry, we are not only asking for help from the government to, to pay one more uh, round of the subsidy scheme, they pay the money to them. In fact, they are working very hard to... Uh, All right, uh, Mr. Yip, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Yip, unfortunately, we're out of time. We'll have to take a short break for the news, but I, I'm sure we, we understand your message. You want uh, more help from the government. Um, thanks again this morning for joining us. And that's uh, Freddie Yip, the president of the Hong Kong Travel Agent As Owners Association, also legislator-elect Michael Tian, who is a local delegate to the National People's Congress, and Sile San, the deputy director of the uh, Society for Community Organization. Now a quick look at the weather. It'll be cloudy with one or two light rain patches to start with, mainly fine later with a high of around 21 degrees. Right now it's 17 degrees, relative humidity 79%. Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin have completed a scheduled phone conversation that was expected to be dominated by tension over the Ukraine. The call reportedly lasted for 50 minutes. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue reports. It's the second time the two presidents have spoken this month, a clear sign of the serious nature of the potential crisis unfolding on Russia's border with Ukraine. The White House says the talks came at Vladimir Putin's request and follow a list of demands from Moscow that would preclude Ukraine from ever joining NATO and push equipment and forces from the Western Alliance out of former Soviet republics. Washington has threatened devastating economic sanctions and more military aid to Ukraine if Russia refuses to de-escalate. Both sides are due to meet for face-to-face -face talks in Europe in 10 days' time. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Andrew Work and me, Janice Wong. If you have any questions or comments on today's topics, feel free to contact us. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is Back Chat on RTHK Radio 3. In the first half of the program, we talked about the problems experienced by Hong Kong-bound travellers who want to travel to the mainland to undergo a 21-day mandatory quarantine in time for Lunar New 
New Year's uh, family reunions. And, and this is mainly because it's uh, still not known when quarantine-free travel with the mainland can begin, with uh, COVID cases popping up on the mainland and imported cases, as well as two suspected cases of local transmission of the Omicron COVID variant here. And because of the spread of the Omicron variant around the world, the government has decided to reserve more quarantine spaces at Penny's Bay uh, to increase the to increase the number of uh, because of the increase of number of uh, travelers over the festive period. Um, the government has uh, decided to halt bookings at Penny's Bay for foreign domestic helpers coming to work in Hong Kong starting next Monday, and uh, instead a hotel will take its place. Um, to comment on this, uh, we have on the line with us Thomas Chan, the uh, chairman of. Uh, the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Um, good morning, Mr. Chan. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the program. Um, so what is the situation right now? I mean, is it really, really difficult for, for employers or, or for you, for the agents, uh, to find a place uh, for quarantine for these uh, domestic helpers? Yes, the situation is very, very difficult for everyone involved. Uh, I think uh, first one is the government's decision. Uh, because they want to the place to those residents or anyone coming back to Hong Kong uh, to stay in Panic Bay first before they go to a quarantine hotel or anywhere. So uh, all the domestic helpers staying there or to be stayed there will be for moved to a new hotel. Uh, for this one, we don't have any uh, negative comments. Uh, the only thing is, because uh, the new hotel only provides about uh, 1,100-something 1, uh, rooms, so actually this is the replacement of the panic space. The rooms left for the new employers or new arrivals of domestic helpers is only 100-something or even less. So... Uh, Currently, it's still very, very difficult for the employers to get a room, to secure a room for their domestic helpers from either Indonesia or from the Philippines. And how, uh, like, how long is this delaying the arrival? So if I sign a contract to for with an agency for a helper to come into Hong Kong to work for me, how long am I going to have to wait before that person can get a room oh, and clear quarantine and start yeah, working? It's quite terrible for some of them. Uh, I have some uh, clients, they signed a contract with the domestic helpers uh, <laughs> at the end of 2019. So it's almost exactly two years until now, but the, the worker, luckily, the worker is still willing to wait for the chance to work in Hong Kong. Wow. And, <laughs> two years. Some, some of the clients, uh, they also experienced something very bad. Uh, w one of the cases, one employer is hiring a domestic helper to take care of the sick father. The father passed away already. And then uh, the other one is they want a helper to look after the newly born baby. Now the baby can walk and talk already, but the worker is still in the Philippines. Wow. So uh, it's quite terrible for for lots of employers, not only one or two employers, but lots of employers. Uh, are are so, a lot of the domestic helpers giving up? I mean, if, if I was signing a contract to come work for somebody and I couldn't come for a year, 
two years. That's that's one or two years you're not working. I'm that's not, right. not going to wait. I'm going to go to Singapore or anywhere else. Exactly, exactly. That, that's another scenario. For some workers, of course, we can understand. They 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 cannot keep waiting, keep waiting, and waiting for nothing. That's why they transfer to somewhere else. Uh, I think we have to review from the. Uh, late August uh, this year was the reason or the root of the problems to current situation because he, at that moment I think I also joined this program uh, the medical experts from the health department they, they said all domestic helpers must concentrate in few places for better manage, management under one mentality that workers are high risk group of people. They are more easier to transfer or carry virus to Hong Kong, transfer to someone else, or it's more easy to control if there is any outbreak among this group of people. That's why they need to be concentrated, uh, confined in only these few places. What's but after the- about four months of observation, starting from September until the end of December, we don't see any such kind of outbreak. It means the presumptions to contain these people here doesn't really come true. That's why yeah. we strongly advise the government should release these people from these very limited places and let them to join the rest of the Hong Kong residents. They can go to about 40 designated quarantine hotels. Then all problems solved. Seems quite sensible. James? All right, uh, Mr. Chan. I have uh, two emails here. Just uh, I just read them out. This one is from Karen. Um, she says, "If if the China won't open up to Hong Kong, then why not open up to the rest of the world first? Then at least one border is open. Not everyone has the mental or financial resources to do the 21-day quarantine. Plus the fiasco of constant flight cancellations, hotel rebooking that is happening as Hong Kong restrictions get tighter and tighter. If a China border is shut with." no sign of opening, open up globally first. And that's from Karen. I have another email, and this one is from Bill. Um, He says, we must protect ourselves, close Hong Kong to all incoming travelers. We must never open to the outside world. And that email is from Bill. Um, So, um, Mr. Chan, I know you've been talking about all these difficulties uh, that employers are having uh, to, to help their helpers find uh, these uh, hotel rooms. Um, how much is it actually costing them now? It must be getting, I mean, the figure must be getting bigger and bigger. Yes. Uh, for Even for this new hotel, uh, right now, the, the current price is 750 uh, It's higher than the Panish Bay, 480 uh, But currently, I, I think... The factor employer concerned the most is not the price anymore. They're concerned about whether they can get the room. So even in Palestine, people, they are willing, they are willing and they are forced to pay about another four to six thousand to the scalpers or to those people who can help them to get a room. So uh, a few hundred more, uh, it doesn't matter here to most of the employers. Yeah, I mean, if you're waiting for two, three years, you amortize that over, well, not two, three, but one or two years, you amortize that over, you know, the extra ten, eleven, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. It seems starts to sound like not very much. 
you know, by, by comparison. What, what is this doing to the local economy for domestic helpers? Are domestic helpers who are already here finding their job prospects vastly improved? I mean, uh, are you seeing more domestic helpers quitting because they can get better offers from people in Hong Kong that aren't willing to wait? Yeah, for, for those domestic helpers uh, currently staying in Hong Kong, I, I, I would describe they are the lucky ones. Uh, by lucky, it means uh, first they can get a better offer from the employers. They have a stronger, uh, stronger terms to bargain with the employer's overworking condition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so they, they don't need to worry about the working chances. Once they, they, they are willing to transfer from one employer to another within few minutes or, or, or even not yet leaving the current employer, the new offer is there waiting for them. So, uh, and at the same time, on, or on the other on the other side, the employers they have to pay much more and, and to keep a current employer, uh, current workers, or to pay much more to in, to give incentive to the workers. So uh, that that's not healthy because of the very serious or severe shortage of the supply in Hong Kong. I mean, it's healthy for the domestic workers. They, I'm sure they're enjoying, uh, you know, getting higher salaries, getting more yes, benefits, yes, exactly. better working conditions. Yes, exactly. Especially the other negative, or, or I should call it a negative impact from Hong Kong immigration. Because immigration, I, I don't really understand the mentality. Right now, they are starting uh, another campaign, fighting the, job, the so-called job hopping. I, I talk many times. Actually, I don't really... Uh, agree with the term stop hopping but immigration is is starting another campaign to fighting the so-called stop hopping for those resigned or terminated all of them they force them to go back to their country of origin Mm -hmm. it means they are reducing (laughs) reducing the supply of the workers in hong kong on the other hand they don't allow people to come in i don't know what's the real mentality of these people they're, These people, I mean the immigration officers, they want to destroy the benefits of Hong Kong as a whole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they're they're generating the conditions under which job hopping is promoted, is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Well, I guess maybe more more immigration control than than economists at this point. Do you have some numbers on where salaries are going? I mean, if if you if you had to say uh, what was, think, what was uh, the range. For for example, for Indonesian uh, taking care of the elderly, because most of them they are taking care of the elderly. Mm. Uh, most of them they are asking about five thousand five hundred uh, to six thousand five hundred. Okay. Some of them employers even they are willing to offer this one. They still wait for over three months or even six months. They, they, they cannot find any suitable person because they are looking for someone who can speak Cantonese and who are willing to take care of the uh, pet-ridden persons or sick persons or something like that. It's quite difficult. Do, do Cantonese-speaking domestic helpers uh, have an edge over those that don't? I mean, in the, in the Hong Kong market, you would, you would think that would be the case. Yeah, uh, for, for, for Cantonese people uh, speaking uh, domestic helpers, it's quite difficult because most of them, they, they come from Indonesia and working here for... Uh, period of time, uh, 
it's really difficult. And then for the, for those elderly in Hong Kong, uh, we can understand some of them, or quite some of them, they, they, they can't communicate in English well with Filipino workers. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, thanks for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Thomas Chan, chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. It's now 16 minutes past nine, and it's time to turn to our final topic today. And that's about uh, New Year's resolutions. For many people, the New Year represents a fresh start, and it probably and it's probably the uh, most popular time of year for people to hit the reset button. Some people may set a goal to lose weight. Some may hope to spend more time with family and friends. But what is it about the New Year that brings hope for such change? And why do people make resolutions? And why are they sometimes so hard to keep? To help us answer some of those questions. We're now joined on the line by Dr. Kira Tulane Saidi, Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psychology Practice. Good morning to you. Hello. Good, good morning. How are Hi. you? Fine, thank you. And thanks for joining us on the program. So um, why do people um, come up with, these, uh, with their own uh, New Year's resolutions? Well, you see, New Year uh, represents a, a end of a chapter and a beginning of a new one. So we're discarding our old mistakes or old you and you will do better. So it is a sense of self-improvement. It's a fresh start effect is what we call it. So it is, it is, it, it's a chapter break in our life span. You know, so we look at ourselves going through our development um, in chapters, uh, creating a narrative around that. And it is, it is, uh, it gives us a new, fresh start for a lot of people. So uh, it is important. It gives us hope, and that's why people continue to do it. And you know, well, why not? It's the beginning of a new year, and uh, it is a beginning of a new start. So that that's why people do it. But is it is it at some level ultimately psychologically damaging? You said, oh, it gives us new hope, new start, beginning of the year. But but if people are just taking this arbitrary marker of you know changing from the end of one year to the beginning of the next to try and determine that is going to be the moment when they will change. But if they're not also making other fundamental underlying changes in their life, are they are they doomed to failure and then despair because their hopes have not been realized? bring up a very good point because because we all know and we've I'm sure in our lifetime we've all done it where we've set some set a goal and you continue for a week you know so a new year resolution and people don't as I, people don't seem seem to follow them through I think research studies show that about 46 percent of people stick to resolutions after six months that they've um, they've made them at the start of the new year so um it is you're absolutely right it is not just having the notion of i want to lose weight or i want to uh, you know improve in a certain area there are there are many things underlying that and it is how you approach it and the and you know it can be done it, you're absolutely right it can be done at any time of the year why is the first of january more important but it, you have to set realistic goals you have to approach you have to set them in a way that i'm going to be approaching towards these goals rather than avoiding them and it, it is uh, important to be able to set a goal that is realistic so it's, it's not that i'm going to be an athlete and a runner and i'm going to do the marathon uh, it is that i will you know 
uh, do something every day that will make a change, which is I'll go out for a run, even for a minute, which is better than what I did yesterday. And that concept is really hard as a society for for us to get because we want to be the athletes. We want to be the perfectionists. We want to be perfect at what we do. And when you fail at that, it's a fear of failure that keeps us grounded and frozen in not not being able to do it. When, when you talk about the success rate, 46% after six months, is it more effective if people set out with a, a goal as in like a numerical target of an outcome? Or are they typically more successful when their resolution is a process? So, for example, is if the resolution is, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, uh, is that more effective? Or is it more effective to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to walk or run 10 kilometers a day? Do you see what I mean? Like, is, is one yeah, yeah, more productive yeah. than the no, other? No, no, that's, that's exactly what I meant by approach goals, that I am going to be healthier rather than have a number in, in, in you know, a number as a representation of a goal because it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And it is that going, making that change and doing better every day because then it becomes automated and it's not dependent, solely dependent on motivation, which is, which requires effort and it requires, you know, a constant need and a willingness to be present for that. So the harder something is for us to do, the more motivation we need to do that thing. And, you know, motivation isn't something that we can always muster up. And in the middle of a pandemic, it's been pretty tough. So motivation comes and goes. And as long as it's not just dependent on the motivation, I think that's that's the important thing, because you're creating a habit. Mm. And that's different, right? Yeah. And uh, like you just mentioned, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So um, is it uh, useful? Is it more useful to set a New Year resolution? Um, it, you know, it is, it is something to be hopeful, as I said. And 2022 has to be hopeful, yes, um, from my perspective. Mm. But it, it is something that can boost your self-efficacy, which is your belief in your ability to take action that benefits yourself and your situation. So within that frame and being in the middle of a pandemic, it, it, it's important to think about how you want to improve. But again, it has to be on the notion of, you know, changing a habit, making a habit. And it's, it's not to set yourself up for a failure and create a sense of this constant uh, I haven't been able to do this to what I have been able to achieve. That I was able to, you know, um, do that small thing, which is uh, maybe go for a run for two minutes or five minutes and improve and constantly improve on that um, daily and build up on it daily. Because then it becomes automated in your mind and you don't have to think about it. And it's not an effort. Mm. And it, therefore the motivation for that, you know, the effort and motivation has been required. There was an interesting piece a couple of months ago in The Economist's long read publication, 1843, and it was about the, the kind of the, the curse of perfectionism in modern society. And I think we, we tend to think of this as a Hong Kong phenomena where parents are looking at a child and saying, what, you got 90% in all subjects, but you got 85 in another? What happened? What went wrong? Um, and, and, you know, they kind of tied this, this um, obsession with perfectionism to New Year's resolutions and saying, you know, are, are New Year's resolutions a, 
a phenomena of this drive where everybody has to be healthier and better looking and perfect at their job and perfect at this and perfect at that. Um, are people now tying their New Year's resolutions to this kind of this, this, this kind of phenomenon that they described? Is, is this something you see a lot of in Hong Kong in your in your practice? People that are obsessed with perfectionism. Oh, totally, absolutely. It's it's it's, um, it's very common, and you know it is it is a society which is um, we have very high achievers uh, in Hong Kong, and it can uh, you know we set our own standards, and it is. Perfectionism manifests itself in so many different uh, things like depression or anxiety or you're constantly obsessing uh, about something or it is, you know, it's so many, so many different things. It's a constant need to improve and constant thing of the thought is that I'm not enough, not good enough, not good enough. I should be better. I could be better. So... Totally, absolutely. That, that's something very common that I see in my office. And it, it comes from the thinking of all or nothing. And the shades of grey are very difficult for people. Um, and, and there are many, many people that I work with that, you know, just letting go of that notion of 100% or 110%. And you, you've got to remember there is no such thing as 110% because it's out of 100, right? It's 100, <laughs> right? <laughs> so... The notion of 98% is, is not, it, it's not acceptable. Forget 80%. Because I say, what I say is that a finished assignment is better than not handing one in at all. Yeah. And that, you know, having, having a perfect one and finishing four assignments that you get 80% on rather than failing three and getting 100, 100% on one. You've got to think about that, but it's just that shades of grey is very difficult for uh, the perfectionist mindset, which you know the society perpetuates. Sure. Absolutely. So maybe that maybe some people's uh, New Year resolution for 2022 might be to chill out a little bit. You know, don't don't be so obsessed with having to be perfect in every part of their life. Given given that, okay, assuming we haven't fallen trap to the cult of perfectionism, uh, but we do want to make some improvements in our lives, and we're taking this opportunity to do so. Uh, aside from small incremental changes, what what other recommendations can you give people to set reasonable goals and to be able to stick to them? I think it's very important to, as, as you said, you know, it is. It's important that you you make you you set the intention to what is it that you want to improve on, not what is that you're going to give up, because if you're going to give up carbs, it's going to be very difficult for a lot of us. Sometimes it is very difficult. Rather than I'm going to eat healthily, and every day that you are able to eat healthy and are improving on it being able to remind yourself of that. So that's one. The other one is you have to be very specific about your goals. You have to, uh, you know, you have to be specific. You have, they have to be measurable. You have to, uh, they, they have to be realistic. And you have to be, you have to have a, some form of a time frame because that creates an accountability for yourself. It's also important to have, um, create, you know, an environment where you, where you are able to make that change. Um, and you have to set time aside and uh, uh, to be able to do that. And it is, again, having a support group around this is important. Mm-hmm. So it, it's good that you're able to have a network around around yourself. And then eventually, as long as you're working towards automating 
and making a habit. I think that, that you're setting yourself up for um, success. It's okay. You're going to have some days where it's going to be harder than yeah. the others. So it's important to be able to accept that and factor it in. I hear what you're saying about having a community around you. I have a bunch of guys, and they, they got me on the thing of getting up every morning. And if they're not around, I probably don't go. But if we do, you know, we we get up and knock off that 10K. And a, another buddy roped me into uh, doing uh, no drinking for Lent last year. He's Catholic. I'm not. But he said, I, I got to do it with somebody. So we did it together. Um, I, I introduced another element, which is gamification. And, you know, try to make these things a game. They talk about it a lot in, in whether it's in finance or social media, trying to introduce gamification to, to keep people more engaged. And the, the game I play is when, I, when I'm on a no drinking thing, I try to do it so my wife doesn't figure it out, see if she can tell the difference between husband not drinking or husband drinking. Um, generally, she can't figure it out. So is gamification something that is, that is on the scene now? It's much talked about in industry and psychology, but, but how about in your practice? It is, it's, it's always good to break it up with some sense of humor or, you know, having a, a, you know, other people around you that are able to check in with you. So, and is she able to, is she able to tell the difference? No, not as far as I can tell. I think the kids, the kids caught on, but I don't think, I don't think she pays that much attention to me. I know she's not listening to the show so I can get away with it. So. Dr. Said, you will have to leave it there for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning and Happy New Year. That's uh, Dr. Kira Tulane Saidi, a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psycho- Psychology Practice. Also, uh, many thanks to you for commenting through email and our Facebook page. And uh, now here's the weather. It will be cloudy with one or two light rain patches to start with, mainly fine and dry later with a top temperature of around 21 degrees. Um, winds will be moderate to fresh east to northeasterlies, occasionally strong offshore. And the outlook fine and dry with cool mornings on New Year's Day and the following couple of days. Right now it's uh, 17 degrees and the relative humidity 79%. As the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 increases with age, vaccines are highly recommended for the elderly. Common side effects are usually mild and temporary. Experts advise that those who have had flu shots before can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Even if you have a disease, you should get vaccinated as long as your condition is stable. Just staying home doesn't mean you're free from the risk of infection. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated early. It's 9.31, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Health authorities have announced that no confirmed cases of COVID-19 were found during an overnight lockdown in Shekip May, but some specimens from the Kennedy Town lockdown are still being verified. An estimated 580 homes, a hotel and a shopping center have burned, and tens of thousands of people were evacuated in wind-fueled wildfires outside Denver in the U.S. state of Colorado. And after a telephone conversation between the presidents of Russia and the United States, which centered on Ukraine, the White House said President Biden urged Russia to de-escalate tensions over the concentration of thousands of Russian troops on Ukraine's border. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock.
Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring Gilby Council. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Disciple of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. It's the last day of 2021 here on The Morning Brew. Good to be back with you. Sport and movies, innit? That's basically what happens on a Friday. Danny Hicks after 11, who won't forget this year, after spending over 50 days in Japan for the Olympics going to bring you this week's edition of Sports and All. And after 12, James Marsh, who also won't forget this year, after spending over 50 days macrame to his couch, will deliver the final Marshy movie time of 2021. Join them both on Facebook Live. 